Today on the Zachary and Peaches show, the Super Mario Brothers movie is a super hit. We'll discuss about the film and how it could lead the way for future video game movie adaptations. And we'll also talk about season 3C of Bluey that has recently gotten underway down under in Australia. That's coming up on today's edition of the Zachary and Peaches show, April 18th, 2023. Hello and welcome to the Zachary and Peter Show, everybody. I'm Adrian Mata. And I'm Emma Settles. And how have you been, Emma? I've been hanging in there. Um, I mean, we've been talking a little bit, but, you know, college is kind of just slowly eating away <laughs> at me. Um, my film's been driving me nuts. College life itself has just been a bit stressful, especially considering, you know, graduation coming up and everything. But all things considered, I'm, I'm hanging in there. And I know that, you know, one way or another, things will definitely work out. So I am going to be as, uh, <laughs> as I told you, as bright-eyed and bushy-tailed as I possibly can be, because we're talking about animation. And, you know, even with my own film driving, as I said, driving me nuts, um, I, I still get to talk about cartoons with my friends. Uh, and I say friends, plural, uh, this time for a reason. And we'll get to that in a little while. But uh, overall, how have you been, Adrian? I've had a smooth week last week, only two shifts at Universal Orlando. Um, Thursday, I was on cashier at the haagen Ice Cream Shop at Universal Studios Florida, and then I worked another shift this time at the Marvel Character Dinner at Islands of Adventure, and that went smoothly as well. So nothing really out of the ordinary to report, so it's been very good. And you mentioned that you said something about, you know, being able to talk about cartoons with with your friends. And this time around, we have a friend joining us on the show today. His name is Matthew. Welcome aboard. Hello, my name's Matthew Rohde. I'm I'm a friend of Emma's. Um, they are actually my the artist, I, and I am the one of the writers of this illustrated novel called Rodent Arms. And in addition, um, I too am a person on the autism spectrum. I'm actually studying at Exceptional Minds, uh, which is an academy for those on for people in the autistic spectrum wanting to break into the film industry in it i'm studying vfx there and in addition um i got a number of different interests um mostly comic books video games and and some weird ones like um thomas the tank engine and, and some other stuff and i also created the defenders of grave and far au of sorts which is basically just drawing bluey characters as D&D characters and so that so that's the general gist of it. and just in case you folks didn't know D&D is Dungeons and Dragons well well that is lovely to hear and uh we cannot wait to have you on board here so how have you been I've been doing fine um I've been um lately I've been putting doing some interesting work at EM um particularly motion graphics um, it's something that I just recently discovered that I'm good at. It kind of, I kind of um, am into like lo stuff like logo animations, you know, like Ooh. 
and um, lyric videos, infographics, that kind of thing. If you can do it right in After Effects, and it's really interesting. Oh yeah, After Effects. Honestly, I I don't think like people give After Effects enough credit for being an animation software. Uh, I agree with you. I'm actually using After Effects as not only my compositing software, but also uh, for additional animation purposes for my film. Um, so I'm doing a little bit of like motion graphic-y and some puppet animation and stuff like that through that program. So yes, absolutely agree with you. After Effects, amazing, amazing program, especially if you know how to use it. Um, and I also have seen some of the work that you've been putting out. Um, I, I follow you on LinkedIn and stuff, and I, I, I agree, you've been doing a really good job with your infographic and just general uh, motion graphic work. So, yeah, props to you for doing that. I'm, I'm thankful more people are seeing the, uh, the bright side after effects, because for some strange reason, <laughs> uh, a lot of my... Um, a lot of my classmates are still very averse to it, which I don't understand why. Um, but then again, I also don't really like Toon Boom Harmony all that much. So I think it's just a matter of preference. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I digress from there. Right. Um, it's mostly, like, what I lean towards is stuff like logo and um, title animation is um, the main thing. I'm the, the jobs I'm seeking out right now are VFX compositing stuff like just making up like just taking the flight the explosions that are that people make in 3d software and just putting them into live action that's the kind of thing i'm doing but i also enjoy doing this thing like you know have you ever heard of saul bass he did the logo animations for the title animations for stuff like stuff like various um what was it? Hitchcock movies and a few other. Oh yeah, directors. yeah. We were actually uh, talking about uh, some of his work in uh, my thesis class recently because we were talking about uh, title and uh, credit sequences. So yeah, the second the name came up and you mentioned of uh, you know Hitchcock right. sequences, like oh yeah, I know who that is. <laughs> yeah, title animations are a lost art. Like half the time, you're lucky if a movie even has the title and has the title at the start of the movie, much less any cool animations to go with it. Yeah, I agree with you. So I'm glad that you're, I'm glad that you're, you're keeping, uh, in a way, you're keeping that art alive by mm -hmm. uh, mimicking some of those same techniques just with modern software. Right. I've got one that I haven't posted yet, but that I finished just now, where I mimic the style of the, where I didn't, where we're supposed to take two and take a show that we like and another and an intro and basically splice them together like one of my friends did a simpsons intro in the style of cowboy bebop and it looked oh. like something that could conceivably be a couch gag oh that's what really I, cool what i ended up doing was taking the lot doing taking the teen titans and doing the logo in the style of the live-action Titans series with that pounding techno intro, and basically just compositing footage onto the letters, and it, I think it turned out all right. Hey. A lot of people... I'm not the biggest fan of the live-action Titans show, but I do think it has a pretty 
but I like, but I still, I'm proud of how um, my project turned out. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Um, I guess, you know, sort of getting into a little bit more about, uh, like, story-wise, what you do. Um, we can cut this out if uh, you don't want to give too much away. Um, but like, I can talk a little bit about it. it. There's stuff on DeviantArt already, so it's it's no secret that I'm working on this. Right. Uh, yeah, so... I mean, this is also coming from a person, you know, this is also coming from your illustrator. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, tell our lovely listeners a little bit about your amazing series, uh, Rodent Arms, that is going to be published hopefully very soon. I feel like a majority of it's kind of leaning on me now to finish those spot illustrations. Again, I'm very sorry for keeping you waiting. <laughs> Life has just been cool. kicking me in the tail. Um, no problem. <laughs> but yeah, let uh, let our, our lovely listeners know about the series. So, Rodent Arms is set in this world of anthropomorphic animals. So, I so you guys will probably love it. That's mainly focused on smaller animals, and including rodents. Um. It's about, there's two factions. Um, the Napraduke, they use um, sort of steam power technology, and now they've discovered this thing called Arcanite that is a more efficient power source that they want to use to build up their technology. But the thing is that the Arcanite is being used by the other faction. Um, I changed their name. They're now known as the... Um, so you might need. So I'm sorry for, for kind of springing this on you guys. It's we, lately we've been calling them the Sylvan folk or Sylvan for short, and their whole thing is they use the Arcanite in their casters. The thing about the Sylvan, their thing is that they're they have this thing where they're connected to nature through the wisps. Wisps within this context are parts of the soul. And you can harness those wisps to do all kinds of things, um, like things like healing, telekinesis, and they do that through the casters. And so the Napraduke and the Sylvan are in conflict with each other over the Arcanite, and there's these two mice, Oliver Von Licht on the Napraduke side and Iris Everwood on the Sylvan side. When they have this chance encounter, it sort of changes everything. And um, I'll leave it at that because that's where things really start getting interesting is when you see these two sides connect. And the big thing is that it's not like one side is all good and one side is all evil. That's the biggest thing that I want to stretch is that it's com that these sort of faction conflicts are complicated they're not it's not like what there's no real good side or bad side both sides do questionable things and both sides have good individuals yeah overall uh once again also coming from the person who's illustrating this series but the second i heard about it i mean i, I just got I got so excited about it, and the fact that you brought me on board in order to help you bring this to life even further, I think is, it, I mean, in general, I th in general, I think it's like, you know, just thank you for the opportunity, first of all. Um, You're welcome. 
But yeah, overall, what I'm sincerely excited to finally let the world get an opportunity to not only know more about your characters, but ultimately experience the story uh, for themselves. Uh, you and I, of course, being on the production team, basically, uh, we've been watching this thing further grow, develop, and change over the years we've been working together. But yeah, I'm I'm just I'm I'm genuinely excited to finally see people get to experience this amazing story for themselves, and hopefully, many many more. Uh, installations of the, if not these specific characters, but other characters within this world that you've created and their own adventures and misadventures and just life situations specifically uh, after the the resolution of story, which I almost gave away. (laughs) Um, So I'm glad I stopped myself there. Um, Yeah, overall, uh, keep an eye out for Rodent Arms, because I'm genuinely excited, and I'm sure you are too, Matthew, considering the fact that yes. the author um, finally get this show on the road and finally get people to experience the story themselves. If I, if I may, Matthew, when are you expecting to get this novel out? Um, I'm gonna try to get it out by the end of the year. Um, I know I keep saying that, but this year, I think I'm at. I think we're actually going to do it. Like, we've just been. My whole family has just been, or has just been so busy, and that would just really. But by the end of the year, at least, I would love to get this out because this has been such a. Because I really want to see this through to the end. Yeah, I mean, I mean, from what I, I mean, from what I've seen as a person who's been helping you with this, this has been a, a labor of love uh, for everyone involved. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That being said, I too would <laughs> very much like to see this through. So I also promise you, and now that we have it recorded, you can hold me to it. Um, to have the spot illustrations done very, very soon, especially since yes. my film is ra- finally wrapping production, uh, and I will have a little bit more time on my hands that I can spend in order to finally lining and uh, getting the uh, you know ink and paint, all that lovely stuff with these illustrations. Um, I do have them all the sketches themselves all cleaned up, uh, one of which is just about fully lined. Um, but yeah, it's just about getting the rest completely finished, and I will give you personally updates on that uh, as I see fit. But all right, yeah, all right. Rodent Arms coming soon, uh, hopefully by the end of this year. From from Matthew, what what is your last name again, Matthew? I'm sorry, Rody R H D E. Um, my sister Renee Rody is a co-writer on that, so I would love for her. So she should get credit to all right uh rodent arms from matthew and renee roadie coming soon hopefully by the end of this year now we've got a great show for you today or tonight where whenever you're listening to us we've got a great show we're gonna be talking about a movie that's been creating a lot of buzz uh, lately and that's the super mario brothers movie yeah um the super mario brothers movie i still i remember um 
when I saw the first trailer, I like couldn't believe it. Like we had act. This was something that we I never thought that we would get it. Much less that we would get it and it would be this amazing. Like, um, like as someone who has been following the Mario series since I don't know since I was like in my preteens. I think my first Mario game was actually Super Mario World on my parents' old Super Nintendo. And I think Galaxy for the Wii might have been one of my first ones that I got while it was fresh. But like just seeing this after years, like it was it lived up to my expectations and even exceeded them in some areas. It wasn't I'm not going to act like this is the most perfect thing ever. It's it's not. It's like it's not totally flawless, but for what it is, it is pretty amazing. Oh yeah, I mean, I think it in general it's it's kind of been a long time coming um for these characters to get a proper uh feature length film. So the fact that, as you said, we not only finally were able to have a true and proper Mario movie, but also have the opportunity for it to be as stellar, especially visually, as it was. Uh, I think, yeah, as I said, long time coming, and I'm very glad we finally got it overall. And I cannot wait for us to discuss about this. And there's going to be a lot more. We're going to have a lot more of the show coming up uh, later on, too. And, and uh, speaking of that, we're going to go ahead, take a little break. We'll be right back with our main discussion of the Super Mario Brothers movie. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Zachary and Pizza Show, everybody. I'm Adrian Mata, alongside Emma Settles, and our special guest today, Matthew Rohde. And today, we are going to be talking about the Super Mario Brothers movie. So this movie serves as the origin story of Nintendo's iconic titular characters. The Super Mario Brothers movie sees two Italian-American plumbers, Mario and Luigi, transported via warp pipe into a new world, becoming separated in the process. Meanwhile, the Mushroom King is locked in the battle between its Princess Peach and the King of Koopas, Bowser, as he seeks to marry her and put the whole world under its under his tyrannical reign. Excuse me. Along the way, audiences will get to see the best of the Mario franchise come to life, from the Mushroom Kingdom and Dark Lands to Donkey Kong's home, the Jungle Kingdom, and Rainbow Road. All the while, Mario attempts to rescue both Luigi and the Mushroom Kingdom from their fate. So. With that being said, I kind of want to start off with the voice casting choices first because it was quite a, quite interesting 
to see Chris Pratt in the leading role as Mario and as well as the rest as the cast, you know, playing their respective characters. So what, how are we feeling about the, uh, about the voice casting choices there? For starters, I'm going to say I was not in on the hate that um, Chris Pratt as Mario was getting. I feel like it was kind of overblown. Like I kept saying, hold on. You barely, there's barely anything of him. I give him a chance. And I say, and I'm not going to say whether or not they should have gotten Charles Martinet to do the voice. I know he's iconic. He gets a cameo, so there's that. But I, I'd say that Chris Pratt did a pretty solid job for what they wanted this to be. And I think I'm cool with that. But the big star was Jack Black as Bowser. That was... He just stole the show. And... <laughs> And I enjoyed every minute of him. Like he nailed Bowser. If you if you played the Mario games, then you'd know that that is pretty much spot on. And we're so used to just hearing brief voice clips out of these characters, so it definitely took some effort to further characterize them. So I think it, for what it is, it's pretty good. I heard some people suggest. The fact that they got a lot of celebrities kind of draws some people's ire, but I don't personally mind it as much as maybe a lot of a lot do. We don't always that the chances of of a situation like getting Colleen, I can't remember her last name, to voice Colleen Tales O'Shaughnessy. Yeah, to voice Tails in the Sonic movie. That's that kind of thing is pretty rare. My point is, I don't mind that they got celebrities to voice the Mario characters. Again, would have loved to have seen more Charlie Day as Luigi. We'll probably get more of that in the sequel, but Anna Taylor-Joy and Keenan-Michael Key, those were enjoyable too, but I thought the voice acting was fine. It, for what it was, it was pretty good. It, it, it's kind of funny you said that, because uh, my little, my younger sister, uh, she watched a movie with her, with her Splatoon 3 squad at Universal City Walk. Uh, they have a Cinemark over there. And uh, and she watched a movie with uh, w- with her friends. And one of her friends, who is also named Matthew, surprise, surprise, mm. uh, he did not like the voice acting in the movie. So I was kind of a little bit, uh, I was kind of a little bit surprised. I thought Chris Pratt did okay as Mario, but the rest of the cast, they, they fit into their roles uh, superbly well there. Oh yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I, I was definitely, I, I was definitely on the fence about the casting of Chris Pratt as Mario, but at the same token, it was kind of like a, well, you know, I was also um, leaning into the fact that these choices were but were announced by Nintendo themselves, pretty much, and that it the film overall gets the Nintendo, quote-unquote, Nintendo seal of approval. So it was like it was kind of like a trust the process or trust the author sort of situation. Uh, so if like, okay, if they thought that this cast is okay, then maybe maybe they're correct. And yeah, I mean, from what I can tell, I think it was fine. I mean, especially as Matthew said, Jack Black is Bowser, as well as even you know Charlie Day as Luigi. I feel both were absolutely incredibly stellar casts. I again, I would have liked to have heard a little bit more of Charlie Day as Luigi, but once again, if and when we do get a sequel, which most likely it will, especially considering just the utmost 
commercial success of this film. And from what I can tell, uh, how happy both Illumination as well as Nintendo is with this film for what it is. I think, um, yeah, we'll definitely get more uh, in the future. But yeah, Jack Black is Bowser. Don't think I would have casted anyone else, really, <laughs> for that role. I just, I think that was just the perfect choice, at least, you know, in my opinion, specifically as, as you know, Matthew keeps saying, he just absolutely stole the show. Bowser's a great villain, period, but especially this this rendition of him. Speaking of Bowser, how did how weird must it have felt for you to hear him say your persona's name uh, <laughs> uh, in the in the film? <laughs> um, I actually I didn't talk about this. Um, this is one of the points where I mean, I, I, as I said in last episode, but I saw the movie with. My best friend Chris. Shout out to Chris if you are listening to us. Hi, dude. You're amazing. Uh, yeah, but that being said, I, <laughs> I this is one of the things I didn't talk about with him when we were walking back to the dorm because he was just kind of you know jubilantly discussing how much he enjoyed it and how much it just made him feel like a kid again. Um, but you know, back to your point, Adrian. <laughs> The fact that there's a whole song where Bowser, the whole chorus is basically just Bowser saying my fursona's name is insane. I have to, mm-hmm. have to remind myself that Princess Peach's full name, or at least, you know, her her name besides her title, is technically Peaches and not just Peach, at least in this version. Uh, but it was hilarious. Uh, I remember, you know, people in the theater were chuckling and laughing and, you know, enjoying themselves at this, you know, adorable, goofy song uh, that Jack Black absolutely, once again, killed. Uh, (laughs) Absolutely amazing. I can understand why it's such a popular and appreciated little song as well as a meme uh, now. It's it's great. Uh, But yeah... I remember hearing that, and I, I I I was startled for a second. Like, wait a minute, that's my character's name. Why is he singing about me? Uh, and then I remembered, oh yeah, Princess Peach. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Surprisingly enough, it is actually eligible for an Oscar for best original song. So who knows? It it could take home the award next 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 award season. Oh my gosh, that would be utterly hilarious but also pretty well deserved because once again amazing amazing performance <laughs> i'm not surprised that it's been nominated already <laughs> it might get nominated but we will see when award season comes around so right. let's go ahead move on to the storyline of this uh film here as i said you have these two italian american plumbers mario and luigi they start up this uh new plumbing business they get their first customer and kind of doesn't go too well for them. And then they see on the news that, uh, well, I'm going to get into, we're going to, by the way, we got to spoil their warnings um, and all that. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, you have to see it. Go ahead and see it. Stop the episode right now. Go see it whenever you can, and then come back to it. But anyway, uh, their first job as plumbers, independent plumbers, that doesn't go too well. Then they get, then they hear on the news that there's been a water main break uh, in Brooklyn. And 
they feel like they're the right people to do this job. And they try to do that, but to no avail. And then in the underground uh, sewer system, that's when they discover this green pipe, which uh, apparently is a warp pipe. And suddenly it transports them into a new world outside of Brooklyn. And outside of this, of that particular dimension, in fact, and it leads them into, well, it, it separates them. Mario goes into the Mushroom Kingdom. Uh, Luigi goes into the Darklands. And how, and then from, you know, how, uh, let's go from there. Let's go from there. So how does the story go from there? So then Mario has a chance encounter with Toad, who sort of introduces him to the Mushroom Kingdom. And then he meets Princess Peach, and we get this adorable... This part, this part made me laugh so much was when they say our princess is in another castle, like that. Just, I just lost it. Like the humor in this movie is great. And then Princess Peach agrees to help Mario save Luigi if Mario helps her save the Mushroom Kingdom. And so he goes through this training process of becoming the hero of the Mushroom Kingdom. The thing here is that. We're so used to Princess Peach being captured by Bowser. From time to time, we do get to, in the games, most notably Super Mario 2 and 3D World, where we do see that Peach is a um, competent hero, and we've, but here they really emphasize that, which is pretty refreshing to see. And she basically teaches Mario how to use the power-ups and how to survive the Mushroom Kingdom, basically. And we get that training montage before him them setting off to seek out the Kongs to get them on their side. I would have liked to have seen more ex- seen that montage of where they go through the world. I would have seen like to see have seen more than that, more of that, but for what we get, it's it's all right. And there's this whole theme in there about about constantly going at it again and again, which I think is appropriate given the nature of some of these games. Where, like, you kind of, how many times you have to replay these stages to master them? I definitely think that that theme in general, I mean, it, it kind of carries in to the nature of video games itself. Uh, so I'm, I'm definitely thankful that they kept that as a sort of stamp, uh, if you will, uh, that makes this movie not just, you know, feel like a movie about Mario, but feel, you know, as a Mario movie, um, if that makes any sense at all. But, yeah, the fact that we see Mario kind of, you know, trying and failing, especially, you know, with the obstacle course training montage and a few other instances as well throughout the film, uh, I think it just really speaks to the uh, filmmakers just understanding on mario franchise and just gaming in general yeah and then of course we get the confrontation between mario and donkey kong in case you don't know and which you probably do mario started off in donkey kong and so that's why we have donkey kong and the cast of the donkey kong country series which hopefully we that ends up being its own movie down the line it really has the potential there for this to become a whole mega franchise. And that sort of gets the start of this 
of what ends up becoming like this friendly rivalry between Mario and Donkey Kong that I kind of appreciate. I would have liked to have seen more Mario and Luigi, but but as a Mario and Donkey Kong movie, I can that I can enjoy it. That was pretty fun. Yeah, overall, I mean, it was funny if you think back to the very beginning of the of the movie. There even was an arcade cabinet that it basically had Mario's like pre Mario title. You know how certain games are given like you know working titles and stuff like that. I think it was like Super Jump Man. Jump Man. Yeah, Jump Man. Uh, that's precisely what it was. I my video game history class there paid off because otherwise I probably wouldn't have remembered that. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, that being said, the fact that I even had a little tiny cameo, not necessarily of Mario and Donkey Kong, but just of that whole relationship between these two characters with the cabinet in the pizza place. Yeah, as you said, I think you, people definitely, I mean, at least for me, I was, and definitely from, you know, the perspective of my, my friend, Chris, uh, who (laughs) is a pretty big self-proclaimed Luigi fan, uh, and he was, of course, stoked about the decision of, like, Charlie Day being Luigi. But I digress from there. Uh, definitely, as you said, I would have liked to have definitely seen more Mario and Luigi, especially because the little bits that we did get were super wholesome and sweet. And it really just emphasized how much care there is between these two brothers. However, at the same token, having the movie have Mario and Donkey Kong sort of riff off each other and get into these little goofy petty arguments and then eventually forming a pseudo friendship specifically you know how they helped them take down Bowser and at the at the climax of the film before there was Mario and Luigi there was Mario and Donkey Kong so that being said, having their relationship being more emphasized, I feel like it was still a smart decision, and it was still something that I don't think breaks the film. If anything, I think it's actually quite fascinating, and it just pertains to the overall history of the character and the, of the franchise. Yeah, and I didn't mention this before, but lately Seth Rogen's been getting some flack for saying that he doesn't do voices. I thought he was fine. And it wasn't a problem for me. The the only voice that I actually had a that honestly the only voice actor that I really had a problem with was Cranky Kong, Donkey Kong's grandfather. Like that is not the voice I expect out of Cranky Kong. And I'm not just I'm not sure if this is just the fact that honestly the voice in the DKC animated series, which by all accounts and purposes is not that good, is more is closer to how i picture cranky sounding yeah i agree with you i think it was um i i didn't personally uh grow up with that series but at the very least i was not expecting cranky to sound the way he did so yeah personally i think i agree with you that was pretty much the only voice actor that i mean going back to the whole voice acting question but yeah that was pretty much the only voice that i actually didn't like i think everyone else did a good or at the very least a passable job as their characters but yeah overall i i think the cast itself was was definitely something that was a, it was a little jarring at first but it works um everyone did pretty well and yeah the only thing i would have liked to have had changed if i could definitely change anything about it 
you know, voice acting wise, it would be definitely be Cranky's voice. Yeah, the DKC animated series is definitely fascinating. It, for those of you who don't know, there was a Donkey Kong Country animated series back in the 90s. It was CG animated and it was pretty primitive CG animation, really shows how far the industry has come. It is by all accounts not good, but I still think it's worth your time if you get to watch a few episodes just for how bizarre it is. Uh, we love old CG. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, as you said, the industry has really come a very long way since the the very beginning of CG animation. I mean, <laughs> a bit of an aside here, but um, with my very limited experience with CG, um, with taking a few classes and stuff, because it's, you know, required with my major here at UArts, but that being said, I think I respect that form of animation even more than I already did because holy cow, those software, <laughs> oh, that software is a pain to use and it's even more of a pain to properly wait and render everything. So yeah, I, I'm definitely very, <laughs> I, I'm definitely even more forgiving of even the very early CG stuff that looks super strange and outlandish now. Because, yeah, I mean, especially on, on computers back in the day, that prob I don't even want to think about how long that probably took to render. <laughs> right, anyway, so that leads into the thing that they've been really pushing, the Mario Kart scene. Like, that was just... The fact that this is only the first movie and we already have Mario Kart and the fact that they represented it so well was, I did not expect that. But then when they revealed it, I'm like, oh, wow, this is, this is, they're really pushing this. And it's on Rainbow Road, the most, one of the most famous tracks in the series. It was just beautiful to watch. And the whole Mad Max twist that they put on it was entertaining. Yeah. Like, that's what it kind of evoked. Oh yeah, I mean it was <laughs> it was funny. I mean, uh, even though I mean, if if you think about Mario Kart itself, you've got you know the Koopa shells specifically, even like you know most infamously that uh, super obnoxious blue shell that goes after you if you're in first place or close to it or just <laughs> anywhere around the first place driver. But yeah, I think. By giving it a slightly more Hollywood edge to it, I think overall, I don't. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it was it was kind of entertaining having a Mad Max ish twist to it. Specifically, you know, given the level of technology and the level of just what the Koopas do. Period. Specifically in the film, I think was. Yeah, I think it was a fun and, and fine decision. I mean, as you said, that scene in general was utterly stunning. I mean, the whole film, I think, if anything, is eye candy to begin with. It's super well animated. And, I mean, say, say what you want about Illumination, but personally, I think the quality of, at the very least, the movement of their animation is usually pretty top-notch and this absolutely proves that 
it's it drives it home that they were absolutely the correct studio to work on this movie because of just how good their visuals actually are and how good they were able to achieve how how well they're able to achieve the recreation of this world in a 3d animated film right the thing about this movie's story is a lot of people have criticized it for not being barely existent and it, in defense a lot of people point out that mario stories tend to be pretty simple either way this one hits a lot of the same beats that you would normally expect i think for what it is it's all right and we have the third act down point before the characters get back up and fight back but the way it's done it it's all about the way it's done but and the execution like we get to see character and power-up combinations that you don't that you've never seen before like you get to see donkey kong wielding the fire flower peach wielding the ice flower and i love that they put the tanuki suit in there that's one of my favorite power-ups i love that that brief cameo from king babam from super mario 64 was pretty amusing the only thing about the ending is is luigi suddenly being capable of doing stuff at the end when mario had to go through a ton of training um it kind of cheapens it i would have liked Again, I know a lot. I keep reiterating this, but I would have liked to have seen Luigi get something before, other than him that brief bit at the end where all of a sudden he's a competent fighter. But other than that, I, it was satisfying. I still think it was satisfying. Yeah, I mean, overall, just the film itself is done out of utter love and appreciation for the franchise and personally i don't really feel like i had much of a problem with the story structure itself considering the fact that you know as you said in defense of that story yeah the mario franchise overall often follows relatively simple straightforward stories but you know with the visuals and with the execution of the story and the fact that they were able to absolutely celebrate so many different franchises within the Mario franchise itself and you know just the fact that they had different cameos of different games i mean my i mean chris when i were talking initially and he pointed out that there is at least technically from at least you know from his standpoint there was technically a luigi's mansion cameo as well i mean specifically with you know luigi getting sent off into the dark lands and kind of you know confronting the dry bones and the swoopers and just being in a creepy haunted castle even though it was you know one of bowser's uh, old castles as opposed to the actual mansion in that specific um game series but Still had all the fun Halloweeny sort of flair to that game. Had that kind of vibe. Uh, we do get to sing, see King Boo as well in the, the in the wedding scene. Um, and as an appreciator of both King Boo and Dry Bones, both of you probably understand why. 
anybody who listens to me ramble probably understands why. Uh, <laughs> ghost and skeleton. That's all I'm gonna say. What's what's there not yeah. to love? Uh, yeah. To you know, <laughs> dry bones is actually my uh, my Mario Kart main, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um. But, you know, that being said, I think overall, even though I agree, Luigi's sudden character arc, if you could even really call it that, doesn't seem so... I mean, it it fits, but I I agree with you, Matthew. I think it's a little cheap. But, you know, I, I still think that this movie is quite good and that it was ultimately done out of proper love and understanding and appreciation for the franchise. I can see why, you know, quote-unquote, the traditional movie critics aren't as big of a fan of this as other films are, especially even other Illumination films. But I think ultimately the level of enjoyment just comes down to whether or not someone is super intimately familiar with the Mario world. I mean, I didn't really grow up with Mario all that much. I mean, I played Mario Kart, I played Mario Party, I played a couple of Mario games, but it wasn't my big thing. My big thing was Pokemon. And if this was a Detective Pikachu episode, I probably would have even more to say about that because I personally enjoyed it because, you know, Pokemon fan. Ultimately, you know, that being said, I still think if you at least un- are able to understand the lore and the nature of these games, then you're definitely going to understand why the movie is what it is. Because it needed to be this. It didn't need to be some sort of super grand, large scale, super deep. <laughs> yeah movie it, it needed to be a mario movie all right here's the thing I, this might go off on a tangent back in 1993 as a lot of you might know there was the live action super mario movie oh yeah the, the directors of that the idea of what mario was wasn't as clear to everyone so they tried taking it in a more mature direction with this crazy sci-fi dinosaur people story and the result was it was unclear who that whether it was a movie for kids or adults. And I'm probably going to end up going on a tangent with this. Um, I'm not sure if I could even do it justice. There's this fabulous video out there by Gaming Historian that goes into why that movie ended up how it did. But the point is, is that with this one, they knew who this, they knew what Mario was and who it's for. And so that's kind of what, that was kind of a driving factor is, they knew going into it who this was for. Yeah, precisely. I mean, it was funny. Uh, <laughs> I had some friends who actually, I believe the the 93 Mario movie, if you could even really call it that, yes. uh, <laughs> was being screened um, at the Philly Film Society, which is like relatively close to my main building on campus. And they all went to go see that, and I had friends texting me, you know, right after the show, and it was just like, <laughs> you were like, 
most of them had seen it before and they actually enjoyed it, you know, as a kid being the fact that it was, you know, the only quote-unquote Mario movie at the time, you know, at least to the, you know, feature-length situation uh, in terms of, like, Hollywood films or whatever. Um, yeah. But, you know, that being said, they were, like, they were, they were watching this and think, I have no idea why, that, why I enjoyed that as a child. Uh, and I mean, honestly, it was just this one of the strangest things that they had ever seen. And that <laughs> if they texted me every time something strange happened in that movie, then they would be texting me pretty much for the entire thing. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, in order for, you know, to prevent from that big of a catastrophe from happening again with this franchise and these characters, the fact that they had people, you know, know exactly know what the story is and know who the character is and what it, what and what he's not and what, you know, the whole franchise is and what the whole franchise is not to begin with. I mean, I think that also comes with, you know, modernity as well and the fact that these characters have, you know, been around even longer uh, and more stories have been developed and more press release and more just information and other iterations of these characters have, you know, been told and people, you know, were, are, were able to grasp better what the franchise was and is. But... At the same time, by having people who genuinely could understand what it, you know, the storyline, I think overall the fact that they didn't do anything story-wise at the very least. They didn't do anything in the story that I don't think wouldn't fit in a Mario movie. In, at the same time, they also had uh, some Nintendo... Uh, executives and just you know people involved uh, in at Nintendo. Uh, yeah, Shigeru himself was them, involved. Uh, supervising all the people at Illumination who were involved with uh, you know story and character and and world development and all that stuff. Uh, letting them know if they if they did suggest something that overstepped uh, the world's boundaries. So you know that being said, now that. It's also considering the fact that Nintendo also was present during the production of this film, I also think was a big plus and gives this movie even more of a leg up because they had more direct supervision. Yes, yes. Like, because the 1993 movie failed so badly and Nintendo was nervous about, very much did not want to risk that again. So now that, so as, but recently as video game adaptations have gotten a little bit better um they kind of got i guess they got more comfortable with it but but it was a good idea for them to have their oversight because they know what their franchise is and the fact that this was as well received as it was i think hopefully means that nintendo could finally rise up onto the level of disney where more of their brands are better recognized like i told you about dkc beat since they already introduced donkey kong you've got donkey kong country and zelda would be an is another one that i think should be their next priority because you want you want actual stories and a zelda movie would be the way to do it oh yeah totally i mean i think just that 
whole franchise just it suits itself to that level of storytelling. I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think overall, this is, you know, my advice to no one in particular, but it could possibly behoove Nintendo to continue to work either with Illumination or with other studios, regardless, you know, who they personally see fit for whatever projects they have in the future. Uh, Because you may need someone with, you know, more of a stronger understanding of, like, you know, script structure and writing uh, for a a Zelda movie in particular. All things considered, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, we... This is kind of the, you know... (laughs) I wanted to touch base on this anyway, but the fact that video game movies and video game TV adaptations have improved over the past couple of years... I think it just shows that Hollywood, at least to some degree, is slowly starting to understand that these stories, A, they mean a lot to people, period, and B, that they are worth preserving and telling accurately when it comes to recreations on, be it the big screen or the small screen, in cases of series like The Last of Us, for example. It's funny, people around me keep saying, like, you know, is it safe to say that the video game movie quote-unquote curse uh, has been lifted? Uh, I think it, once again, (laughs) another one of my famous phrases, it could be a bit too early to tell, uh, but with the fact that, you know, both Sonic movies, the Mario movie, Detective Pikachu, The Last of Us, you know, whatever else you want to say, add on to that list. Because there's probably plenty more that I'm not even thinking of right now. Um, Cuphead. I wasn't even thinking of Cuphead. They got a great oh, yeah. TV adaptation with Netflix. That being said, with the fact that people, video game studios and animation studios are... And, you know, TV studios in general are starting to understand each other's art forms uh, a little bit more and are starting to understand their stories. I think, in general, this could bode very well for the future of video game adaptations. Maybe we'll see more in the movie theaters. Maybe we'll see more on the small screen. Maybe maybe a few more years. Who knows? Um, But at the very least... The fact that we're getting them and the fact that they're they're doing well, I think speaks volumes. Uh, and with that being said, my own personal fan passion project, hypothetically, of course, uh, I feel like has a few has a little more teeth. Uh, so that being said, uh, don't starve together. The animated series, anyone? <laughs> oh yes! Oh yes! Yes! Absolutely! I would love that. I mean, they also- that would be. That being said, like, you know, Clay, uh, you know, kind of going off on a tangent here, but Clay releases cartoons already, and they probably oh, yes. are sick of hearing, time to get a show, um, but, you know, that whole game has so much lore that is, that can't even really be contained within the nature of both single-player and multiplayer games itself, so I think uh, <laughs> my advice to Clay is... Time to start looking at uh, at, at <laughs> and anyone else who has a relatively you know successful and you know lore driven property period, um, be it a game or whatever. Maybe you can trust Hollywood a little bit more in order to accurately yeah. tell your stories. But once again, 
too early to tell, and we'll definitely see more developments as the years go by, and more and more games are given more and more movie treatments. Right. So one idea that I that I've thing that I've kind of heard name that I've heard thrown around is um, Metroid. Personally, I think that is the one Nintendo franchise that should definitely be live action. And I think I know the perfect studio to do it because they're in close proximity with Universal is Blumhouse. Ah. Because, because Metroid is rooted in the Alien movies, which are horror movies, and Blumhouse is one of the leading names in horror. They're actually working on a FNAF movie right now. Oh, right, yeah. So you got, even if it's bad, it will at least be entertaining. But I think it would be a good... If Blumhouse wanted to try something out there, that would be the thing to do it with. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's funny, Metroid is one of those franchises that you actually don't hear a lot about when it comes to gaming, especially, you know, when you think of Nintendo, the first thing, you know, pops in your head is, you know, Mario and Pikachu, not, uh, <laughs> not, not that franchise, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, if there was to be a Metroid movie, I, I, I like your, I like your hot take there. <laughs> I think Blumhouse could be a, a pretty good opportunity for that. So, yeah. That being said, who knows what we'll be getting in the future besides, of course, the FNAF movie. And, you know, hopefully more continuations of, of Cuphead and, and stuff like that. But, yeah, you know, that being said, I'm genuinely looking forward to seeing what the film industry in general, not just the animation industry, but the film industry, has to say about the future of adaptations of games. Because, yeah, it's, things are starting to look up. Right, right. We're definitely going to... The fact that there was a post-credits tease at the end of the Mario movie shows that they're at least we're probably going to get a sequel. And I've got a ton of ideas for where that could go. The only thing we do know is that Yoshi will be in it because we got that tease at the end of the Yoshi egg. And I always thought, like, Yoshi's the perfect character to devote the sequel to because... The whole Yoshi's Island stuff would be perfect for the sequel to explore. And I cannot wait to see what they do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, I don't, yeah, we'll uh, mm -hmm. look forward to that once that finally releases. But, yeah, until yes. then, go see the Mario uh -huh. movie if you haven't already. It's killer. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. I've been sitting here like a third wheel listening to this conversation, and I've been loving it like every minute of this. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't really need to guide the conversation. Y'all just kind of really went at it and just, you know, executed very well. So props to props to you, Emma. Props to you, Matthew. Thanks. Yes. So anyway, Super Mario Brothers movie. Go see it. Audiences have been loving this. Critics, not so much. It does have, you know, some interesting choices here and there to advance the storyline. But that's all I am going to say about this because, um, well, it's been like 47. It's been like... I don't know, like 45 or so minutes that we have been discuss that you two have been discussing about this. So let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and take a break here. When we come back, uh, we're going to be discussing a little bit more about Bluey season 3C premiering on Australian television. We'll be right back.
We're back with more of the Zachary and Peaches show with our guest, Matthew Rohde. And we're going to be talking a little bit about season 3C of Bluey and and, a, and especially a particular episode uh, that aired on Australian television recently, Matthew. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we're currently two episodes into season 3C of Bluey right now. I mentioned at the beginning I do Bluey fan art. Um, I love it whenever someone draws my OC Merlin, um, the Shellasi. Um, just, I love it whenever, like, there's people on Twitter that will basically you drop your OC in the comments and they'll draw them. Um, and that's always really cool when I see that. Back on track. Um, the episodes, the episodes that have aired so far, there's Cubbies and then there's Exercise. Cubbies was and is a definitely one of the more the more creative episodes that they've come up with where basically it starts off bluey and bingo are making this little house for one of their plushies and bandits wanting to improve the house in some ways like bandit and chili are talking about ways to improve the house like getting a bigger tv which i can kind of relate to or putting a hole in the wall and so what ends up happening is Bluey and Bingo, they want to give their plushies some more rooms. And so they built this massive labyrinth all over the living room of couch cushions and sheets. They create little rooms all over. And, at, and then at one point, Bandit has to navigate his way through them. And it is some really creative imagery they came up with for that episode. So as, when you get the chance to see it, I totally recommend it. Oh my gosh, I'm. <laughs> you know, that being said, I, I, as I, I said, you know, first, first episode. I am also a very, very big Bluey fan. I actually now have a Bluey backpack that I'm using to carry my laptop and all of my art supplies and stuff and notebooks and things, you know, to and from classes. And it is a big hit on campus. Um, so yeah, if anything, college, the long and short of it is college kids love Bluey. Uh, yeah. And I'm genuinely excited to see more of season three because I did get an opportunity to watch pretty much the entire season minus... Uh, some of the new stuff so you know that being said i'm definitely enjoying it so far so cubbies it sounds right up my alley especially because you know being a little kid and uh <laughs> wanting to you know make the best place in the world for all of your plushies is like the dream when you're a kid i i mean it's funny uh, if I had the time and the energy to do something like that now <laughs> i would do it now <laughs> Yeah. I, I collect plushies still. My whole bed, uh, both at home and even here, up here at school, is just it's filled to the brim. <laughs> so yeah, I definitely really. I mean, if I didn't relate to Bluey and Bingo before, and I didn't see my younger self and like my my younger sister is and I, you know, are specifically that dynamic as being Bluey and Bingo, I especially see it now. Now that this episode has been released, but yeah, I digress. Second episode, let's discuss yeah. exercise yeah exercise so this is the one people have been that's been causing the discussion um basically bandits trying to lose weight if you've seen the if you saw the episode grinding mobile one of the the old lady basically a lot of people speculated that this is what the ep 
the episode we would get because after that old lady called Bandit fat, I guess he's been more self-conscious and trying to lose weight. And so basically the whole episode is about is Bandit trying to squeeze in 10 minutes of exercise before work and Bluey and Bingo doing their usual thing of playing around and basically they and it seems like for a while they're impeding him but it also but in fact they actually end up making it more fun and it's their usual thing of Bluey and Bingo playing a game while Bandit's trying to do something and how they interact is what makes it interesting and I think it has one of my I think this might be one of my favorite scores by um, Jeff Bush, I think is his name. Joff Bush. J-O-F-F. Joff Bush. I, of course, all the episodes tend to have, the music is usually one of the highlights. And this is definitely one of them. But as for the whole fat shaming thing, I did not view it as fat shaming. If any, I think there needs to be a distinction between fat shaming and being conscious about one's health. And it's all, it's kind of a fine line, but in some ways, this isn't like a family guy joke where being fat is beat, is used, is played for laughs. Honestly, I'm where it just seems like here, it just seems like Bandit's conscious about his health and wants to, and really wants to work out to do exercise, but has a hard time finding the time to do it. And I can kind of relate to that. Kind of sounds like me, actually. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I mean, I try to, I mean, whenever I can, you know, I always try to, you know, do some walking and such, like even around my neighborhood, like around the, around the, uh, around the street, so to speak. And, uh, and just trying to get in like 30 to 45 minutes of walking per day. Maybe I can even try and get in an hour. And, you know, even, even with that, you know, I've, I've lost a little bit of weight, but it's not where I really feel I need to be. But that's okay. We take small steps, you know, to make sure that, uh, you know, we're as healthy as we can be. And, you know, who's to say that we are fat? Who's to say that, you know, we, we don't look healthy as long as, you know, we're, we're comfortable with our bodies and doing what we can to stay healthy. I think that's the, uh, I think that's the big thing about it, about this, about this discussion uh, around this episode. All right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, you put it wonderfully, Adrian. I mean, as long as you feel good in your body, then that's all that matters. Yes, like, of course, people find will find things either in the show itself or in the fandom to go get up in arms about. Um, I'm honestly kind of glad you're not on Twitter. I know that's where I'm active a lot, but honestly, I'm kind of, I've kind of gotten used to it i'm not sure if I you want actually it. i actually have a twitter account i hate to interrupt you matthew i'm sorry but Ooh. i actually i actually have a twitter account but i i've kind of started to decrease my use of it uh, i think ever since elon musk took over the website but uh but i'm still kind of sort of active on it anyway yeah yeah i mean i i mean in some ways it's good i meet all kinds of interesting people and again i sometimes people on there will draw my OC my blue OC Merlin on there, but yeah, it can get pretty hectic sometimes. Some of the discourse. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that's kind of the nature of just social media fandoms in general. Most of the time, it's it's just yeah. I mean, in general, I mean, I, I think that's another reason why I'm not really 
<laughs> on social media anymore is because of just how much drama there really is in internet fandoms. I've witnessed enough, you know, back when I was on like Tumblr and stuff like that, I witnessed enough shipping wars and enough, you know, just general <laughs> not great, friendly, not friendly, not great, not, you know, behavior between people uh, in fandom. And, you know, that being said, I, I think it's the reason why I've definitely uh, completely removed myself from it and have just chosen to focus on primarily uploading to DeviantArt and Fur Affinity and ArtStation and, you know, websites that are designed specifically for artists. But yeah, I agree with you. Uh, internet fights specifically around fandoms, just, oh boy, not not fun. So I feel for you on, uh, on that. But yeah, that being said, I'm, I'm still glad that, you know, even in the midst of just fandom nonsense, you're, you're still reminded that the, com the fandom community itself is ultimately, you know, united under their love of this franchise and of these characters. And the fact that, for the most part, I mean, from at least what, what I have seen with the Bluey fandom, is that it is usually pretty cordial. Then again, it's also my limited experience with fandom, period, because now I'm pretty much only active on DA side of things. But, yeah, in general, <laughs> my message to pretty much every single fandom out there, what, what, what's the deal with the drama, guys? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if there is legitimate stuff to talk about, then, you know, you should talk about it. But for the most part, like, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. <laughs> right. If something is legitimately bad and, and, you know, makes you uncomfortable and is just actually not a good thing, then yeah, you should absolutely talk about it. Uh, but for the most part, keep fandom light and fun. Just don't try and fight with other people just over basic, simplistic differences of opinion. And yeah, exactly. Just keep, keep fandom the way fandom was intended. <laughs> yeah. So... There's only two episodes so far. It's off to a promising start. I'm definitely looking curious about that one screenshot of Bluey wearing that suit with the Nerf gun or whatever that was. <laughs> I really want to know what the story behind that is. I've seen screenshots actually from um, season uh, 3C as well, specifically with characters in the in elevators. Uh, so I'm especially with like Bluey, you know, pressing all the buttons on all the floors and making the elevator stop on every single floor. Uh, so I wonder what the deal on that one is. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing that episode. And I think the rumor has since been debunked. But there were supposed, at least, this is from what I heard, there were supposed to be a healer, quote unquote, healer ween episode, but I think that got scrapped, uh, which is understandable because it's an Australian show. Uh, and Halloween's more of an American and British thing. Uh, but then again, if there is a Healerween episode, I personally would be very excited. I think the rumored episode title was supposed to be like Ghost Basket or something like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that being said, even if that episode got scrapped, totally fine. I'm, <laughs> I'm just, in general, as you said, looking forward to seeing just more of the lovely little adventures of our favorite little blue healer pup and her adorable little red healer sister pup who so much reminds me of my little sister <laughs> when she was that yeah. age and the amazing 
parents, Bandit and Chili, and everyone else. I'm overall, I'm just, I'm over the moon that the series can is continuing to be as lovely and as influential and as fun as it actually is. I'm kind of curious about the premise of Dragon, only because it could end up having an influence on my little AU that I've been working on. Right. My big contribution to the fandom is this crossover between Bluey and D&D that I came up with. It went to the point where I developed a whole story around it based on certain episodes where basically my OC um, Merlin, his whole thing is that he was Bandit's dungeon master back when he, for he and it, for him his, and his brothers. And then years later, Merlin returns to Brisbane and he helps Bandit teach D&D to Bluey and Bingo. So that's kind of the... I'm not sure if I'm going to go any further from that. I've tried writing fanfic a few times. It's just difficult to nail the tone. I, I still enjoyed the fan doing fan art. Oh yeah, I mean I agree with you. Like if fanfic for anything is it, it's it's actually quite difficult. Uh <laughs> considering the fact that everything has its own unique tone and you want to make certain that it maintains that tone otherwise things seem out of character and odd. And I mean of course once again, I mean this is also coming from someone who just dabbles in writing very very out of character <laughs> fan fiction because for the fun of it because of also the fact that I'm <laughs> hopelessly in love with some of my <laughs> some of my favorite characters and they're all kind of grouchy uh, and I don't want them to be super grouchy in at least not all of the time uh, in <laughs> these these stories but you know I digress is like you know you want to keep true to not only the characters but the tone of the world that they live in so yeah i agree with you and i mean i guess you know circling back a little bit to our mario conversation and you know our just conversation on adaptations in general is that you know finding that tone is is very difficult especially for people who whether it's fanfic writers or people who are writing screenplays for a big hollywood blockbuster ultimately especially if it's like based off of a pre-existing property getting the tone right is something that is definitely very difficult and it's something that i even still struggle with but at the same token though once you find it and once you're able to you know make as well as you know take that tone and, and sort of you know warp it a little bit and make it so it feels like your own story as well uh i think is it's yeah that's just the route to go especially if you're just you know writing fanfic for fun <laughs> yeah yeah part of it part of why i focus so much on bandit's childhood in my story is it be like like bandit has a separate character from his youth from what he uses later like before his, like his old character was a thief and his later character is a, a bard like part of it comes from my desire to see a whole see a whole spin-off around Bandit's youth because I feel like there's so much potential there. And like having Merlin as like the sort of older as like the older kid that who's there as needed to watch over the kids and be a good influence on them is it kind of went from that. The difficult thing with a and with that kind of spin-off is is again 
I feel like that kind of spinoff would be best suited maybe like around season eight of Bluey itself, because it would definitely need to be geared towards a slightly older audience, like maybe gear it, maybe not gear it towards the Disney Junior crowd, but maybe towards like, but maybe Cartoon Network might have use for that kind of thing because they are slightly older. Like, what do you think? I guess. can see that i mean i think you know if there was to be a bluey spinoff yeah i agree with you i feel like it would probably need to be um you know of course like you said you know based on bandit and uh by an extension uh chili's childhoods but yeah, yeah i think having it be for a slightly older audience probably you know more of an eight to ten sort of idea range i think would make a lot of sense especially if you know if you're a kid and you grew up watching bluey by the time season eight happens you'll probably i mean let's see let's say you're like three when you when the show first premiered you'd probably be like you know be a little over that age limit but you i mean if you grew up watching the show and you really enjoyed it then yeah you'd probably get a real kick out of seeing characters and situations that are more geared towards a slightly more older audience i mean then again also in general audience age ranges are kind of you know silly anyway at least in my opinion especially since you know bluey is is ultimately quote-unquote a preschool show but it still has such a large teen and adult following because of the fact that it is just so well written and quite frankly just lovely and wholesome mm-hmm. so yeah that being so said i feel like it would probably still lean a little bit more towards the quote-unquote universality but it would be definitely seen as more of your typical run-of-the-mill kid show as opposed to something that would air on on uh, a network specifically for young children the reason why i think if they were to do a full-on spin-off it would have to be geared towards an older audience is partly because the humor would end up if you you saw the episode fairy tale um you would know is that the humor for such a if you were to get that kind of humor on a weekly basis i think that for like an episode or two a season it it would be fine in regular bluey but if you were to do a full series on that with that kind of with that sort of mean-spirited humor it would have to be geared towards a slightly older audience i think and i think and i'm not saying that there and there's totally potential because we saw new character dynamics and it ha- and we have a clear path as to where those will lead but yeah that's part of why i suggested that if that was to happen that it'd be geared towards an older a slightly older audience yeah i definitely agree it, it definitely makes sense i mean once again also coming from someone who's definitely seen fairy tale and has seen uh the fact that you know bandit was <laughs> definitely yeah, he. I mean, if you think about it, like, you know, he said it best himself. He was a bit mean when he was, uh, like, eight or nine years old. So, you know, that being said, if, I agree. If there was to be uh, humor that, you know, poked fun at uh, other characters and stuff like that, it yeah, it, it would definitely make more sense for it being, you know, a, more of a typical kid show as opposed to a preschool show. Yeah, and it's not like Blue itself can't get mean-spirited at times. Right. But to do the whole show like that would, <laughs> yeah, I, you're I, saying? I, 
I think that would definitely be a, a different different tone situation if that if it was the whole case. Um but yeah, overall I'm uh, I'm genuinely glad that the series uh excuse me, the new season is all generally off to a uh, pretty good start and I am very much Absolutely. looking forward to seeing more of these episodes myself. Hopefully yeah. uh, I will have access to them soon. Uh, especially since I've been <laughs> I've been wanting more more new bluey stuff in my life cuz you know after wrapping seasons uh, 3A and 3B it's sort of like you know okay now what do I do <laughs> and yeah. now like the owl house is over and and stuff like that it's kind of like well now time just to watch reruns <laughs> yeah <laughs> every You're day the thing i'm looking forward to, to the most in this season that we that's all but confirmed is Frisky and Rad's wedding. Like, oh, hopefully, yeah. like, I'm really hoping that Rad becomes a more regular presence because he's he's been so well received, even though we've gotten, like, only a handful of appearances. I feel like he could really change. Like, it could be, like, if he wanted to have, like, a mid-series shakeup, this is the way to do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, all things considered, like, Rad as you said, is such a fantastic character as it is. And I genuinely want to see more specifically on his whole relationship with Frisky, especially as it's basically confirmed in Christmas Swim that at the very least, he and Frisky are now dating and up in the air whether or not we will officially get to see a Rad and Frisky wedding. But I think it's it's probably highly likely considering the fact that these two characters and especially uncle rad has become such a well-loved character in the series i mean he's got a stellar design too i mean if he's just he's he's lovely and i i I genuinely would really really like to see further developments in his relationship with frisky because i think it's just going to be it's just going to be a big, a big, if we do get an episode like that, it'll just be a big mess of sweetness and love and wonderfulness. And I am, uh, yeah, I, I genuinely would love to see something like that. Yeah. More Uncle Rad. If that's my one demand for uh, season 3C, it's not even the Halloween episode. It's more Uncle Rad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, that would be, I'd be down for that. So you said you saw season three B. Did that that episode where Brandy did that tug at your heartstrings or what? Oh my gosh, yes, it did. It really did. I the fact that I mean Bluey in general, I feel like it's yeah, as I said, it's a very mature show and it definitely does touch base on a lot of themes such as heartbreak and even trauma as we see with the episode you know with the episode with Mackenzie having a flashback where he first meets Calypso when he was a little kid you know after losing his mom in a crowd and and of course eventually he finds her and stuff but uh you know I digress with that sorry spoilers (laughs) uh for those you haven't seen I think it's space um but yeah Onesies, onesies definitely tugged at my heartstrings. Oh yeah, I mean, Brandy is 
I'm so happy that we get to see a little more of what of the people in Chili's circle because we get to see a lot mm-hmm. of the relationship between Bandit and his brothers, but we don't really have much of an insight besides maybe from what Chili's dad, Mort, has said during Granddad and I think a couple of other episodes in season 3A. But, you know, the fact that we get to see Chili's sister and that we're introduced to the fact that she has a legitimate reason as to why she doesn't hang around her sister as much because of the fact that no matter how much she loves her sister and her loves her her nieces, she's often still reminded that she can't have children of her own. Again, spoilers. And the fact that Chili just puts it in such a poignant way that it's it's not meant to be. It, it broke my heart. And it was just... It, it The fact that they also just addressed it so well, I think, is what makes that episode for me. The show deal, deals with a lot of different themes. And I feel like a majority of them are definitely addressed very well. Specifically, you know, with themes such as trauma um right yeah overall though just pretty from what i've seen things have been pretty stellar and i'm genuinely looking forward to seeing how season three will most likely wrap up um especially since i'm anticipating that 3c will probably lead into another break where you know the animators and people involved are you know writing more episodes and developing more ideas and such and you know prepping for the next season of course but yeah, that being said, season three, pretty great so far. Season three C sounds very promising. And yeah, once again, I send Ludo my best and everyone involved with that amazing show my best. And all I can say is long live Bluey. Yeah, yeah. At least, yeah, looking forward to see how many seasons we can get like i would love to see there's a lot of places they could go and i'm looking forward to see what comes of it like see where they develop the characters and there's so many places they could go with what they've established so far yeah we're just gonna have to wait and see yes well uh bluey is of course streaming now on disney plus here in the united states new episodes are streaming now on ABC iView in Australia, if you happen to live in Australia. And Matthew, thank you so much for being with us today, offering us your opinions and your takes on, of course, the Super Mario Brothers movie and also on Bluey. So thank you for stopping, thank you for taking the time to stop by. And uh, we can't wait to have you back on the show again. It was my pleasure. Thank you. All right. For Matthew Rudy, I'm Adrian Mazza. And I'm Emma Suttles. See you on the next episode of the Zachary and Peter Show, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. This has been the Zachary and Peaches Show. Produced, edited, and co-hosted by Adrian Mata, and co-hosted with Emma Settles with special guest Matthew Rohde. The Zachary and Peaches Show is a Zachary original podcast. Hey.